male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from the clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you have come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her, on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother, her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman, women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Ber Lahoroi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? 
The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That is God's word. Join me in a, a prayer. Father God, I, I pray that you would help us today, God. We're all in different circumstances, all going through uh, different trials, different issues, having to make different decisions. And I pray, God, that you would just help us to be faithful to you in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those anxieties, Lord. Father, I, I know that you can take our sin, you can take our, our foolishness, you can take our failures, and you can redeem them. And we, we thank you for that mercy and that kindness. But God, I, I pray today that as we look at this text, you would help us to walk in your commands and your wisdom in the first place. God, save us from so much of the, the self-induced um, harm and, and pain that we often have to feel. God, let us experience you and your faithfulness as we are faithful to you, God. I pray that you would help us in this through your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So this is, of course, the, the second week we've looked at this lengthy passage. It's actually the longest uh, chapter in the book of Genesis, by the way. Uh, and we've gotten to read it twice, so that's fun. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but last week we, we spent most of the time, if you remember, talking about how incredibly important it is who you choose to be your spouse. You remember that? We, we, we said, you know, this person who, who you choose to be your lifelong spouse will have the greatest emotional impact on you. They'll have the greatest spiritual impact on you and even impact uh, the amount of fruitfulness oftentimes that you're able to have. And, and that's more than any other human relationship. The person who you marry will, will have that effect on you. So it's a really huge deal. And so we learned that we need to be discerning, right, about who we marry. We, we don't just, just marry anyone because it's so important. And so we learned from the pa passage last week exactly what we need to do. First, we saw that we need to, you know, be keeping ourselves pure while we wait, keep ourselves uh, uh, in godliness. But we also saw that we should only marry other Christians. A Christian should only marry another Christian. And in addition to that, we want to see some proven character that they are uh, a strong, growing Christian. And then we, we, we said as well that we want to care what other wise Christians think. We don't separate ourselves in these, these times and, and hope that we'll make a good decision. We listen to, to parents and wise friends and trusted church community. So that was last week. It's so important who you marry. This decision will affect so much of your life. So you want to do it God's way, the way he has prescribed in his word and, and using the wisdom that he gives us. So that was last week. But as I've been spending the, these last couple of weeks studying this passage, um, I've been really struck uh, just by how, how stressful, how anxiety-inducing this whole 
deal of marriage can be and choosing a spouse and stuff, you know. I mean, I'm talking about us even, that it goes this way. You know, am I going to find the right spouse? You know, we just think about this. It really is pretty crazy. So, okay, I'm single, and I need to find the right person at the right time, at the right place. Uh, You know, I need to like them. That's the easy part, right? And they need to like me too. (laughs) There has to be uh, some sort of a connection there. And then dating, you know, that needs to go well. There, there need to be, you know, maybe a few arguments here and there to learn how we respond to that sort of things, but not too many because then we bail on it if, if we're just constantly arguing, dating. And uh, then, then Christians, I think of this, Christians have uh, an even more limited pond to fish from for a spouse, right? Because, number one, we will only marry another Christian, so it's like, okay, our, the pond just went from being about ocean size to being, you know, just this little uh, pond because there really aren't, aren't, I mean, there are a lot of Christians, but, you know, not as many as there are people in the world. And in addition to that, we don't just want to marry any old professing Christian, someone who, you know, says they're a Christian. We want to see someone with proven character, proven worth, and, and you know, we hope, we hope, and we pray to God, God, you know, uh, don't let me marry someone who's faking, you know. I mean, that, that would be terrible to marry someone, and, and right after the honeymoon, they're a different person. And so you just think about how, how stressful it is. It's no, no surprise uh, that, that singles especially, you know, are, are scared about these things, anxious about these things, maybe have, uh, uh, you know, sleepless nights and just walking in this loneliness. It really is a scary thing. What if I never find the right person? What if I never get married? What if I find a person, but they're not the right person? So this is a stressful situation. It's a, a, a very anxiety-inducing situation. Now, to, to broaden this, uh, uh, the principles that we'll look at today, I, I want to remind you that Marriage and choosing a spouse is not the only anxiety uh, inducing decision. It's not the only anxiety or fear inducing trial that may come into your life. You know, we think of decisions where will I work? Where should I live? You know, uh, sh- should, should I have kids? You know, if you're married, should I have kids? Where, where should they go to school? Should we homeschool, private school, public school? You know, you have all these decisions. You say, ah, these really matter. They'll have lifelong implications, and they, they might induce anxiety and stress on us. And it may even be trials that aren't decisions, but things that have come upon us. Maybe it's health, maybe it's finances, maybe it's relationships that just aren't going right, and you so badly want them to, and it causes these fears and these anxieties in your heart. And so the principles we're going to learn today will really apply to all of that. We'll be looking at marriage in particular because that's what the, the text is about. But these principles are, are going to apply to, to any time we're anxious and fearful. And what we need to realize is that in those moments, whether it be marriage or job or anything like that, that these stressful, anxiety-inducing situations are actually opportunities in your life. Now, opportunity seems to usually have a, uh, a positive connotation. Well, it's, it goes both ways. <laughs> when you are stressed out, when you are anxious, when you're fearful, it is oftentimes going to be one of the greatest opportunities for you to really mess it up. 
Because in those, those moments, you, you may not act like you normally would. You may not think like you normally would. And you can make some really foolish decisions. You can make some really sinful decisions that will impact your life with bad results. But, on the other hand, this is what we'll more look at today. On the other hand, in these moments, these, these seasons even, of anxiety and fear, they are opportunities to turn to God to be faithful to him and watch him be faithful to us. They are incredible opportunities to see the hand of God in your life. And I, I've seen this in my life so many times that, that God is just so faithful to me. There's, there's really uh, very few things better than, than seeing the faithfulness of God in your life, the way he, he uses you, the way he, he changes you, the way he redeems you, the way he brings situations and events together for his glory and your good. And so it's a, a great opportunity, actually, to see the faithfulness of God and enjoy that. So, I bring all that up because when I look at uh, Genesis chapter 24, this search for, for Isaac's spouse, I see so many opportunities for fear. I see so many opportunities for anxiety and stress. And I see so many opportunities to really make some bad decisions by, by all the people involved here. They'd have made these bad decisions, as we'll see today, if they had been led by their fears rather than their faith. Right? But the, the great part about this text is, uh, you know, it doesn't always go this way in the Bible. The great part about this text is they don't act on their fears. They do act in faith. And so we get a great example today of what it looks like to be in a situation of fear, anxiety, stress, and still be faithful to God. And we get an amazing example of God's faithfulness to all of them. So that's what we will look at today. But I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your fears are, anxieties right now in your life, decisions you have to make. But I, I hope that this will be a word to you from God so that we can be faithful to God in those circumstances. Let me show you what I mean. We'll, we'll first look at Abraham and see how he's in kind of a trying situation surrounding Isaac's marriage. If you're wanting to write anything in your notes, this is uh, number one. Abraham had faith God would provide. Abraham had faith God would provide. Again, these are good examples that we have uh, here in Genesis 24. Let's first look at the, the issue here, the, the stressful situation you see in verse 1, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. You say, well, how is that uh, a stressful situation? Well, look at the first half there. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. It's kind of blunt, isn't it? <laughs> Abraham was old. Uh, you know, what happens as we start to get older? I'm 31 years old, and I already start to see these things, that the, the older I get, the more I realize I will not be on this earth forever, this present uh, earth forever. There, there will come a time that I pass from the scene, right? 
and I'm starting to more and more number my days, you know, okay, like, uh, you know, th- this is where I, I want to be, this is the way I want God to use me, and I mean, if I'm going to get there, I got to get on it, and, you know, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, uh, he was 140, I could show you that from the next chapter, but it says there he was blessed, it says, and the, the Lord blessed Abraham in all things, now, he was blessed. He, he had grown uh, in, in the size of his, uh, what would you say, his assets, you know, his servants, his camels, his money, and just all these things. He had grown in all these ways, but there was still a problem. His son, Isaac, the son of promise, still did not have a wife. Isaac was 40 years old. Again, in the next chapter, it tells us that Isaac was 40 years old. Uh, when, when he does eventually get married But at this point he, he's 40 years old And he still doesn't have a wife Abraham's thinking okay we're out in Canaan And um, my, my son's I'm getting older So I can't really provide for my son for much longer And my son still doesn't have a wife And this is a very big deal You know you talk about anxiety inducing Ah uh, the kid will be lonely whatever Or the guy he's 40 Anyway it's not like that This is the son of promise Right? God had promised that, that he would make a great nation through Abraham, through Isaac. God promised that, that the whole, all the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed through this nation. That's, by the way, pointing to the Savior Jesus who would eventually come through the line of Abraham and Isaac and so on. But if Isaac never has offspring, it's kind of hard to have a nation. And if there's no nation, there is no savior to come through that nation. And so this is, this is kind of a, a stressful situation. My son is, I'm getting older, my son's getting older, and he still doesn't have a wife in order for God to be able to fulfill these promises. So you can see the anxiety here. How could Abraham have responded badly as i told you this is always an opportunity right when when we're in these stressful situations how could he have responded badly you may remember uh back several chapters ago when when isaac was not yet on the scene abraham uh, and his wife uh, sarah wanted a, a child and so eventually they they said you know god's not giving us a child and so they kind of went around god they, they, they gave up their, their morals. They, they compromised on what they knew was right. And he ends up, you know, sleeping with uh, Sarah's servant, Hagar. And that's how we get Ishmael. And God says, well, well, you did that. But no, that was not the plan. And we'll, we'll see through later history of, of the Bible and even current history that that did not turn out real well. Is God still faithful? Yes, God was still faithful in that, but not without heartache. That's Abraham's kind of past, and so he could have done that here. God, uh, my son, you know, uh, needs a wife. He doesn't have one. You know, maybe we're out here in Canaan. Maybe I'll just take for him a Canaanite woman, even though none of them are godly. You know, she, if she can have children, then that's good enough. He could have compromised on the fact that Christians, believers, are only to marry believers. He could have compromised on that. It would, uh, you know, relieved that stress very quickly. 
He could have, uh, in addition to that, he could have sent, uh, sent Isaac back to, to, to uh, Mesopotamia where his family was. We, we saw a couple chapters back at the end of chapter 22 that he got word about his family back in Mesopotamia that he had left. And evidently he heard that there were some believing uh, people there in his family and, and hopefully even believing women. And so he could have said, okay, I know, I can send uh, Isaac back to my, my family's household he can find a believing wife, and then he can, you know, come back to the promised land. As we talked about last week, the only problem with that is Abraham knew how his homeland was. He, he knew how much that homeland could influence in bad ways his son Isaac. He'd already seen this happen with his nephew Lot. Remember, they went down into Egypt. Uh, they, they'd see the great wealth of the, the sinful uh, uh, nation they come out of it and then later on is uh, we, we see that lot goes to sodom because it was like egypt hmm. so he was influenced and and so he says well that's not a wise decision to put my son in in this place but 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 it really would be probably successful right maybe, maybe if i compromise on this maybe if i put him in harm's way for a little while and just maybe let him be a little bit influenced uh, maybe then my stress would be relieved, my anxieties would be relieved, then God could fulfill his promises. But those things are not what we see Abraham do. He goes a different direction with this opportunity. Rather than, than take the quick way out, look at what he does, uh, verses 2 through 8. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. We'll pause there for a moment. Just notice, he, he, he's refusing. No, you will not take a wife for my son from these Canaanites. They're, they're not believers, and that will not happen. Sure, we could have children that way, but I'm not going to compromise on what is right just to make things easier. Picking up in verse 4. Uh, he says, swear, uh, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Verse 5. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Here, that, that's the, the other possible relief valve. Verse 6. Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from, from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. Again, we see Abraham has even this suggestion from the servant. Hey, this is probably going to fail, Abraham. Who, who in their right mind is going to come back with me? What woman in their right mind is going to come back with me? So suppose the woman won't come back. Can I just take Isaac back with me? I, I think, um, I have no idea, but uh, I, I think it's possible the servant here is thinking, you know, this is like a 500-mile trip, so you got a 1,000 miles uh, total. Hey, Abraham, if, if this fails, can I just take him with me? 
or maybe I should just take him in the first place, right? <laughs> but we see there twice, Abraham says, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Only you must not take my son back there. Abraham does not budge on his godly wisdom and godly convictions just because he's in a hard situation, just because he's in a fearful situation. You must not take my son back there. Abraham was faithful to God. But why was he faithful to God? We see that there in uh, verses 6 and 7. Abraham said, See to you that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. Here we go. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham ha has faith that the servant can accomplish this mission, this crazy mission. He has faith, but it's not because the servant is so capable. He says, God, the Lord, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham had faith that even in this stressful situation, he, he didn't know, you know how long this would take or, or anything like that or how it was going to work out. But he says, you know what? God is going to provide. God is going to provide. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. Oh, that we would live with such faith in the provision of God. I just think of so many times, again, we, we don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't know how God is going to pull something off, and so we, we go our own way. We budge on our convictions. Uh, you know, we, we compromise on our morals just to make things go the way we think they ought to go. But we need to see here, Abraham trusted that God would provide. And so he was unwilling to budge on his convictions or compromise on his morals. As we'll see later, God was, <laughs> God did provide. Uh, you know, we already read that. So Abraham had this faith that God would provide, but what about this servant? Let's look at the servant for a moment. This is number two if you're writing in your notes. The servant had faith that God would guide the servant had faith that God would guide. You know, again, we've already talked about it some, and we talked about it last week, but it bears uh, uh, repeating just how crazy a plan this is uh, that, that Abraham is sending this servant on. Seriously, I, I was thinking about it, just trying to, to list what's crazy about this. The servant has to go find a young woman from Abraham's family. This is uh, not in the days of cell phones. Hey, where are you at? Why don't you send me your location and I'll just, you know, GPS it there. He has to go find Abraham's family 500 miles away. He has to find a young woman there. She has to be a believer in God. She has to be unmarried, yet still good marriage material. Some of you say those are hard to find. Anyway, um, 
She has to have the character and qualities needed to lead this, this great family. This is Abraham's family that he has grown. This is going to be now Isaac's family that's going to be this nation coming through them. You know, she needs to have the character and qualities to, to lead this family as, as the matriarch. And then, <laughs> to make it a little more complicated, he has to convince this young woman to leave her home, her family, her friends, and her country. Something which, by the way, she had most likely never done. She didn't go off to college for a while, you know, time away from the family, then come back, you know, when she didn't land that job she wanted. She's never left her family's house, most likely. In that culture, that just didn't happen. And then... She has to go all the way to a country that she's never been to without her family and stuff to marry a guy she has never met. I mean, again, most parents would have a hard time sending their child, you know, off to college, right? People, they struggle with that. Their tears shed. And, and they know, you know what, if I miss her or miss him, I, I can call him up. I can even drive there. I can fly there. And yet that's still difficult and this servant is supposed to get the parents, again, in that culture, <laughs> the parents to agree to send this girl off. And I think of uh, on the marrying side, some of us would have a, a very hard time, you know, relocating to marry the person that we've been dating. Even if we've been dating them for years, like, oh, man, instead of marry them, I got to now move to Maine, you know, or whatever. I mean, that would be difficult. She's never even met the guy. This is a crazy uh, task. Do you think this was maybe a little bit stressful, a little anxiety-inducing on the servant? Okay, Abraham, you know, yeah, I'll just go do that real quick. I mean, this really is insane. So I would dare say that under this kind of stress, going into a seemingly hopeless situation, Abraham's servant would be tempted to try and find a way out, a way to relieve this stress. I was thinking he could have, you know, uh, gone to Mesopotamia. Okay, this isn't going to work anyways. All right, here I am, and then turned around and come right back. He could have done that. Abraham actually gave him that out. He says, if the, will the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. He says, you know, if you go there, if you go to my clan and you don't find anyone that's willing, you know, proper marriage material and then she won't come back with you, then you're, you're free from this oath. Don't, don't let it drag you down for the rest of your life. Just give it a try and see what happens. So it would have been really easy for him to go there and say, all right, well, I don't see anyone, you know, and turn, turn around and, and come right back. Just not, not even try. That would have been easy for him to do. I was thinking this, too, in that day and age, it had been easier, or not easier, it would have been easy for him to not even go. <laughs> Abraham wouldn't know the difference. He's not about to travel to Mesopotamia and say, hey, did my servant come here? No, I mean, he could have gone, you know, 50 miles away and hung out there for a, a few months and then just come back. Sorry, Abraham, it, it didn't work out. He, he could have done these things. He could have shirked his responsibilities. He could have been paralyzed by, by these stresses that came in. But that, again, is not what we see him do. Rather than letting his emotions determine his steps, he decided to let God direct his way. 
Look at it in uh, verses uh, 10 through 14. So he didn't do all those crazy things I just said. Verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to the city, or yeah, went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. So he really left. He really went back to Abraham's home, homeland. Verse 11. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So again, he didn't just go there and then turn around and come back. He, he, he's being smart here. This is where the single women would have gone. It says uh, where uh, at the time when women go out to draw water. In that culture, it would usually be the single uh, women because they were, you know, kind of uh, considered uh, lower class, I guess you could say, because they were not yet married. They weren't yet the leader uh, or the matriarch of a family. And so they would have been the one to go and draw the water for the household. So you can tell this servant is really looking for a wife for Isaac. Pick up again in verse 12. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Let's pause again. What was that? What did the servant just do? That was a prayer, right? So he, he's going there. And, and rather than, you know, just trying to rely on his own abilities, rather than uh, trying to work with his own wisdom, he's bathing this whole process in prayer. Oh God, please grant success. You know, uh, sidebar, please grant success on this hopeless mission that Abraham has crazily sent me on. You know, show steadfast love to my, my uh, master Abraham. God, please do this. I think we really need to notice this. I think oftentimes we don't even realize it, but when stressful situations come on us, when we're really afraid, when we're really anxious, we can have a tendency to just sit there. And just hope that things will go well. To hope that I'll have the strength, the wisdom, the, the, the wherewithal to handle this situation. We just hope. Or maybe, maybe we just sit there and talk with other people. This uh, uh, Abraham's servant was with other men. He brought other men with him. He could have been saying, guys, can you believe that we just traveled 500 miles and we're on this hopeless situation? No one's going to come back. This, this woman's not going to come back. This is insane. He could have been talking with friends about how hard his troubles were. And he probably did that, you know, whatever. But that's not all he did, at the very least. He does this next step, and he, he prays. He brings this before God. You could say he casts his cares, his anxieties, on God. That sounds a lot like the New Testament admonition, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't just be anxious. That's not enough. It's not enough just to sit there and be anxious. It's not enough uh, to tell your friends how hard of a situation you're in. When we are anxious, when we are fearful, when we're struggling, 
that is an opportunity to present our request to God, to, to make our request known to God in prayer. You see how this was an opportunity for faith for this servant? He prays. He really goes on this crazy mission, and he prays to God rather than just sitting there and, and hoping things turn out. But then we see that he gives a specific request. Let's look at that in uh, verse 13 and 14, I believe. He, sa he says to God, Behold, he's continuing his prayer, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, drink, and who shall say, Drink and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. This is, this is great. We need to understand, yes, he, he kind of is giving uh, Rebecca a test. He is. He's testing her character by this. Will she not only give me water, but water my 10 camels, like some 200 gallons that she'd have to draw and put in these troughs? That, that's a test of character. But it was also trying to discern the will of God. He, he wasn't just going to go out there and again hope he made the right decision. I hope my wisdom is enough and that I can see that this is the right person. He says there, look at, look at that at um, verse 14, middle of verse 14. The one who passes this test, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Don't, don't let her be, you know, just, just the one that I think would work out okay. Don't let her, you know, be one who'd just be willing to go. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Again, as we think about this, we too often even come in prayer to God and even say, God, I'm struggling with this, but then we don't ask for his wisdom. James says that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, and he gives generously without reproof. That means God, God wants you to ask for wisdom. We need to understand that, that confidence and, and uh, you know, faith in ourself is not a good virtue. We, God, God is looking for people who will be dependent on him, asking him to come through for them, asking him to guide them. And so this servant went all the way, 500 miles across the desert, stops at this well, really is uh, trying to fulfill this thing. He says, God, give me success and guide me. I need you to guide me, God. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. And we see what happens next. It says, uh, <clears throat> Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Here's what we need to pay attention to. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. Okay. He prayed. He's anxious, right? He's fearful. Is this going to work out? I'm just going to fail. But he prays to God. God, grant me success. 
and God, guide me. Give, give me, uh, let, let me, you know, give this test and you guide the decision. Let it be your person. And what we see right there in verse 17 is that he not only prayed, he acted on that prayer as though God was going to answer that prayer. God, grant me success. God, let the one who I come to and, uh, and ask for a drink of water, let her do this and let her be the one whom you want for uh, Isaac. And it says that when she comes out, he sees her, and instead of just sitting there saying, okay, this is going to be really awkward. Like, what is this conversation even going to be like? You know, he runs to her to meet her, and then he gives her the test. Would you give me a drink of water? He's acting on his prayer. Do you see that? He's acting as though God will actually answer his prayer. We need to understand this. Prayer is not so that we don't have to do any activity Prayer is so that our activity will be prosperous. Prayer is so that we, we can say, God, this is the way we're going. This is the way I, I, you're leading me. Now I'm going to walk in faith, and I'm going to need you to guide me. We, we need to be careful not to run ahead of God, but too often we sit there and don't move at all, and we expect God to do all the work. God wants to be a co-laborer with you. God wants you to, to trust him, yes, to do the real work, but, but we got to be the footman. And that's exactly what we see in this servant. He is not paralyzed by his fear. Why? Because he trusts that God will guide him, even in this crazy decision, even in this crazy mission. I mean, there's a lot of stress on him. He's got to choose the right wife for Isaac, the son of his master. But instead of, of being paralyzed and, or immobilized, he's actually energized. He ran. He's energized by this faith that God would guide him. And we see there that God did guide him. Uh, you know, uh, Rebecca passes the test, right? She waters the camels. Look at how he responds. Verse 26 and 27. 26. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. Listen to this. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. The Lord has led me. He went believing that God would guide him. He prayed that God would guide him. He acted as though God would guide him, and God guided him. He was, he was uh, confident, not in himself, but in God's ability to guide him where he needed to go. The Lord has led me. I hope that that's a good word to you who are, who are paralyzed by fear. Who, who think, well, if I even try, I, I might fail. You know, there, there are plenty of people, it's actually funny, in, uh, in Matthew uh, the book of Matthew, the, the disciples are standing there, and Jesus is talking about how um, a man and woman, uh, the man can't just divorce the woman for any old reason. You might remember that. He's like, no, they, they can't just divorce each other for any old reason. And the disciples say, well, this is true about a man and a woman in marriage. Then it is good that, that you not marry. They say, if this is such a stressful situation that, that we can't you know, just get a divorce if, if we don't like the, the relationship, then maybe it's best just not to do anything at all. Maybe it's just best not even to get married. And some of us have that mentality. Well, if there's a possibility that it will go wrong, then I'm just not even going to try. 
But as we see here, we can trust that God will guide us. We can walk, we can make decisions, we can do actions trusting that God is guiding us. That is faithfulness. That is uh, productivity where, where inactivity would be faithless in God. Let's turn our attention for a moment to Rebecca. At this point, uh, where we'll pick up um, uh, with the servant, I'm trying to think of his name, but that hasn't given us one. The servant has, has told Rebecca why he's there. He's told Rebecca and the family why he's there and that he's supposed to bring her back and, you know, all of that. And so we will see how Rebecca responds to this marriage proposal. Number three, by the way, if you're writing things down. Rebecca had faith in God's good plan. Rebecca had faith in God's good plan. So she's heard from this servant. The family has heard uh, from this servant ab about all that's happened and the ways that God has led this. I mean, you heard me recite it. I mean, he says, the Lord led me to this woman. She passed this divine test, you know. And at first, it, it seems to go well. Verses uh, 50 and 51. Then Laban and Bethuel answered, that's uh, her brother and her mother, answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So at this point, they're recognizing this is from God. This is clearly from God. God has directed this man's steps here. God has provided uh, this... this our, our daughter, our sister, as, um, as a wife for Isaac, the Lord has spoken, you know. Uh, she's, she's before you. Take her and go. So they spend the night, and in the morning, it seems that uh, Rebecca's family gets cold feet about this marriage. Look at verse 54 through 57. It says, And he and the men, that's the servant and the men, who were with him, ate and drank, and they spent the night there. Then they arose in the morning— yeah, sorry, when they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman, that's Rebecca, and ask her. So basically, they clearly see the hand of God in this, that God is guiding this, this union, this marriage to come together. God is, is leading uh, Rebecca to make this decision and them to make this decision. But when it comes down to it, that next morning when they say, okay, we're going, we're going to go obey God now, they say, ah, well, wait, 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 let's just pump the brakes here. Let, let's let her stay for, you know, at least 10 days or something. Again, we don't know their real intent here, but it's very likely they did not expect for it to only be 10 days. It's very likely that they, they hoped that it would end up falling through um, in the end anyways. But of course, the servant says, no, God has made it plain. God has shown us what obedience looks like, and so we need to go immediately. We don't wait around to obey God for, for a nicer day. We, we don't wait until the, the coast is clear. We obey. And so he demands yes or no. Like you either are sending her or you're not. And so they basically say, we'll leave it up to Rebecca. If she's willing to go, let's call her. If she's willing to go, 
then she can go. So now we're, now we're looking at Rebecca. It would have been very easy for her in this situation to get cold feet as well. You know, she, she might be thinking, okay, my family thinks this is too much. This is, this is a little too extreme of a way to follow God, so maybe it really is a little too extreme of a way to follow God. You know, and even if it is obvious uh, that this is what God wants me to do, I don't want to dishonor my mother and my brother. I don't want to dishonor them. They don't want me to go, you know. I mean, she could have come up with excuses. She could have listed, hey, here are all the responsibilities that I have around here at my, my mother's house, and here, here's what I have to do, and so I can't just up and leave. She could have said these things. But of course, Rebecca does not. Verse uh, 58 and 59, And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they went away. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. I mean, just remember how scary this would have been for Rebekah. How anxiety, fear-inducing, this prospect of just leaving with this man she met the day before, the evening before. But she says, I see that it's God. God is directing this path. This is God's plan, and so I am going to walk in it. Immediate obedience, obedience, because I trust the good plan of God. This is often so hard for us. I, I, I get it, you know. I mean, I, I live life too. I know that the way uh, God seems to be leading things isn't always, uh, seem, it doesn't always seem like the, the easiest way. It doesn't always seem like the least costly way, right? I, I don't know what God's ever called you to do that would have really cost you. That would have really been scary to step out in faith. But we see here, Rebecca says, yes, it's scary. Yes, it's incredibly costly. But I'm going to trust God's good plan for my life. Immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. I'll take just a moment to look at Isaac. Um, number four, Isaac had faith in God's good gift. It says in verse 63, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. So he's still back uh, in Canaan. Wouldn't you be meditating out in the field, by the way? <laughs> your, your, your father's servant is out picking a wife for you. Yeah, I'd be praying. Anyway, uh, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. That would have just been a custom. Verse 66, we need to pay attention to this. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Isaac, again, he, he's, he's, he's got a part to play in this, right? Like, this sort of affects him. It wasn't just Abraham. It wasn't just the servant. It wasn't just Rebekah. He's getting a wife, a lifelong wife, through this. This would be scary, it would be really easy for him to say, okay, I hear what you're saying, servant guy. 
it sure does sound like God's hand is in this. It sure does sound uh, like God provided this woman, like he guided you to him. It does sound like there's a kind of a plan behind this. But, you know, let's maybe have a courtship period. You know, just let's take a while to really see if we're a match. You know, how many of our characteristics match up? And, you know, let's make sure that we have common interests. And, you know, he could have said these things and waited. He did not wait. I'm not going to say a whole lot here, but dude went into the tent with his new wife. I mean, <laughs> he received this good gift of God. Why? Because he heard that God had provided, God had guided, and God had made a good plan. So he received this good gift. I want to notice here, just uh, sort of in, in closing, you have these people in these difficult situations. They could go one way or another, either acting according to their fears or acting according to faith in God. And all of them acted in faith. But what about God? Did he let them down? Was he faithful? Think about it. Abraham, you know, he, he needs God to provide a, a daughter, or, or sorry, a, a, a wife for his son. Boom. Got this, this godly wife from his father's household. She's not a Canaanite. She didn't have to send his son uh, over to Mesopotamia to get, uh, you know, influenced. And God was faithful. God provided. What about the servant? He really went even in this hopeless situation. He prays, and God guided him. The first woman he runs into, by the way, the first woman he runs into is actually from Abraham's family. She was actually a godly woman. She actually had impeccable character, and she was actually willing to go. What are the chances of that? Almost sounds like God was behind it. And then we think about Rebecca. Was God faithful to Rebecca, trusting his good plan? This woman would have lived and died um, unknown to the world for the most part. She is now, you know, enstoned in our Bibles as one of the main matriarchs of the nation of Israel, one of the main uh, progenitors of our Savior Jesus Christ. That is pretty cool. <laughs> I think God's plan for her was pretty good, a lot better than staying back and being comfortable. And I'll say this. Uh, we, we've talked about it before, but God's way, God's plan is usually not the easiest way. It's usually not the safest way, but it is always, always, always the best way. She saw that. She could trust God's good plan. It was difficult. It was scary, but God was in it, and it was amazing. And of course, Isaac receives this great wife. I don't know your anxiety today. I don't know if you're looking for a spouse and, 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 you know, just saying, okay, maybe I'll just marry the first person I come to because what if I never get married? What if I die alone? Maybe you say, you know what, there, what if no one's good enough? <laughs> so I'm just not even going to, you know, find a spouse at all. I'm not even going to worry about that. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's uh, with your children. But whatever it is, I hope that we've learned today that we can put our faith in God because He is faithful. God will provide. God will guide. God will give us and put us in His good plan. And God will give us these good gifts. Even if they don't feel easy at the moment, they are always the better gift.
in God's way. How much heartache, how much heartache in your life could be eliminated if you just said, okay, God, I'm going to start acting like you are faithful. I'm going to start acting like you know better than I do, like you really can provide, like you provide the food for the sparrows and you, that you clothe the lilies of the field. I'm going to start acting like that. I'm going to act like you're really guiding me, so I'm going to take action. I'm going to move forward with life knowing that you're the one leading me. And I'm going to walk in your good plan no matter how scary it is because I know that it is good and it is better than anything I could come up with. How much pain could you not have to endure if you just believed God was faithful and walked like it? And I would say on the positive side, how much of God's glory, how much of God's faithfulness could you see? How much God, of God's faithfulness could you share if we lived like God was faithful? We're about to pray, as we, we always do. Let's be like that servant. Let's, let's ask God to, to uh, give us, uh, to, to prosper our way and to guide us. Whatever your care is, you can cast it on him now. Whatever he's asking you to do in obedience, you can tell him now, God, I'm going to do it. Let's pray.